Welcome to the 620 Live Podcast, where we may all speak boldly. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the 620 Live. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at, like, historic injustices as it deals with, you know, spiritual warfare. And... I'm not saying that Christians aren't persecuted, they're not getting a lot of injustice, but I just feel that the Jewish people, like God's chosen people, the ones that are historically, you know, not given justice, and a lot of that is on their own decisions as well, which goes for us, but that's just, you know, a little tidbit of, uh, of opinionations, maybe? Yeah, who knows. But um, today we're going to be looking at several uh, verses. And this one may be kind of long. And if it is long enough, I will cut it in half and use it for next week while I am on vacation. Um, but if it's over what I'd like to do, I may just leave it a solid one. And then, you know... Um, just take next week off but we will see how it goes not going to cut god short we don't put a limit on god so let's look at um second corinthians uh chapter 5 verses 14 and 15 here and here is aria with the reading 14 for the love of christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all then we're all dead 15 And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them, and rose again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 and 15 How much love do you have for your family? Most of our answers there will be a lot. I love them. You know, can't live without them. And it's really odd to me, not odd in a bad way, but I see some families that they spend all this time together. They're so close-knit. They're so in, like, in touch with one another. And then I think about, you know, my family as we're fixing to have our first family reunion and nobody can remember how many years. And it's not necessarily that we're not close, but, you know, we're not as close as some of these other families that get together, you know, once a month, some maybe even once a week. But, you know, closeness does not necessarily translate to love because... There's, you know, a a lot of family members that I love, you know, some more than others. You know, there's some family members that I just really don't like, Um, you know, and, yeah, and my love there with me. I mean, like, there's some that I'm closer to than others. It doesn't mean that I love them any less. It's just, you know, closer to them, have, uh, have a bit more in common, you know. Um, but what about your friends? How, how close are you to your friends? I mean, families like blood and genes and all that other, you know, groovy kind of stuff. But 
how close are you to your friends? Now, this can be a different question. You know, totally... Well, this is a different question, but I mean, like, a totally different answer because, you know, I have acquaintances. Then I have friends, but in the friends, there's different levels of them, you know, and then... Yeah, even even when you get to the higher tier, you know, like best friend and, you know, my friends that I'm extremely close to, I put up into the family term uh, or category, should I say. Uh, and, and I don't know if other people do that as well, but I have a lot of friends that are family. I'm, I'm that much closer to them than even some of my bloody gene family. You know, <laughs> but the thing is, you're close to who you're close to. You know, some of the people you may know you're closer to because they have become friends, they have become family, or they were family anyway, and maybe they become friends. But when whenever I'm asking about those that you know, that would probably go more or less towards the friends on the uh, fringe and the fringe friends. Yeah, don't try to say that a bunch of times in a row. But it's more like acquaintances. Like, you know them to see them, to speak to them, or you know them to hear their voice and know that it's them. You know, there's some that you know and some that you don't know as well. And... With everything else, there's some that you don't know at all. I because mean, I don't know everybody in the world. I don't know anybody that does other than Jesus. You know, but the thing is, like, how much do you love them? Do you love them enough to tell Jesus about them? That should be everybody. I mean, yeah, we should want our family and friends to go, you know, but I don't think that it necessarily wants us to put, you know, them in order of that. Because a lost soul is a lost soul. A saved soul is a saved soul, you know. So, you know, do, do you love these people enough? Do you, is your relationship with Jesus strong enough and close enough that you can witness to your family and friends and people that you know and those that you don't know? It's, it can be kind of an, an awakening experience when you think about it that way because, you know, it's like you don't want people to stigmatize you, maybe is the word. You know, you don't want people looking at you and judging you. But the thing is, people are still going to judge you. They're still going to stereotype you it's it's not going away you know it's it's there um and I, and I hope that I explain this you know well enough for you all to to understand and you know it's, it's a fine line between like trying to explain it um, how I feel and like not being confusing and you're also so you don't hear uh, me tapping on the keys as I'm 
recording because I don't know maybe that shouldn't bother me but it does um but you know these the podcasts are kind of like what they call raw and just hey I hit record I may do a little bit of editing here and there you know so that you can hear the verses but really I want this to be like I'm sitting back in my chair and you're sitting you know in your chair or couch and us just just talking that's that's more or less what this is about. Um, like a comfy couch session, maybe. But uh, <laughs> let's move on to verses um, 16 and 17 here. Again, out of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 16, wherefore henceforth know we know man after the flesh, ye, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 16 and 17. You know, if you look around the world, there's several countries that are below the poverty line. There's several places where people go in hungry, several places where people without shelter people without work but you also get people who can work but just refuse to they'd rather be lazy you got people living under bridges in cardboard boxes you got people living in mud huts in some countries people living on the streets I mean, no matter where you look, there's signs of poverty. There's signs of being poor. There's signs of not having enough. But what we need to understand before we go forward any further is the fact that poor or your wealthiness has nothing to do with finances. Yes, this is how a lot of the world looks at it, that if you don't have so much money, then you're not worth it, you're considered poor. But let me tell you something, just because you don't have a million dollars in the bank, or just because you live from paycheck to paycheck, or maybe even harsher than that, just because you don't have what the world says you should have to be considered not poor or rich you see growing up we didn't have a whole lot um not that we were like living on the streets or anything like that that's not what i'm saying but as the world would define it we were middle class at best and this is nothing you know against people that are middle class i'm just trying to paint a picture here is that we didn't have a whole lot and i've heard the story from mama and my aunt debbie that they didn't have a whole lot but you know one thing from my life growing up as well as what i've gathered from Mama and my Aunt Debbie is that while material wise or 
worldly definition, we were not wealthy, but there's never one day in my life that I haven't known that I was loved. Yes, I, I know by Jesus, I know that, but you see, in my home growing up, My dad wasn't the best. Um, he he would whip me, and you know sometimes worse than that. Nine times out of ten, in front of people, and he was also very verbally abusive. Now. The older that I am, and I'm not saying this to get sympathy or to, you know, speak ill of the dead, but the older I got and the closer to Christ that I got, I realized that I truly did love my daddy. I mean, one, because, you know, the Bible tells us to, but two, because he was my daddy and I was taught to, to love. You see, because while daddy was the way that he was, there was never a doubt in my mind that mama didn't love me. And, um... She made up for the way that daddy was. So you see, financially and worldly defined, no, we were not rich. We may have been, like I said, middle class at best, but there was never one day whenever I would doubt if I was loved. Mama made sure of that then, and even now, she makes sure of it. But I went off on that kind of chasing rabbit, so hopefully you can understand where I'm coming from about the, the definition. Because you see, the world showcases the poverty, the people living in mud huts, the people living on the street. And yes, 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 I know this is sad. But you know what? It doesn't show if they're loved. It doesn't show the families that live together in those huts smiling and laughing. If they are. If they are. I'm, I'm not saying that they are. I'm not saying that they're not. That's one of the things that sucks about not being able to see is being able to look in the picture and, you know, d describe it. Like to emphasize a point. But what I'm saying is you don't know whether they're loved and don't realize that they're quote-unquote, financially poor. So poverty, like last week's episode, comes from a point of view. And see, what we need to look at and realize, too, is that while we may not have a lot material-wise, 
that's a lot less that we have to get rid of, a lot less clutter. Because you see, Jesus told us to get rid of all earthly possessions and follow him. Well, I mean, he told it to the people back then, but it still stands firm today. Give up what is not necessary and follow Jesus. And what I mean is, you got to have clothes on your back. <laughs> I mean, because as of this recording, it's still not legal to run around nude. Um, so all you really need is the clothes on your back. You see, some people can give up everything for Jesus, and some people, like the rich man that Jesus told to give away all of his possessions and he would be saved, some people, huh, you know, not really, no, a lot of people are like that man. They don't want to give up what they have not realizing that what God provides after the fact is far more substantial, far more lasting. Because you see, what God gives is eternal. What's man-made disappears, disintegrates, rots, decomposes. Whatever word you want to use, that doesn't mean eternal. But you know, we can still give up things. Just because you think you need it doesn't mean that you actually do need it. I have several pairs of Bluetooth headphones and earbuds, but I'm always on the lookout for newer ones, new newer technology, better sound. You know, and I really want to focus on something here in these two verses. And that's these two words, old things. And it's kind of a, maybe it was a bad segue, but it's a segue nevertheless. You know, I'm trying here, right? Old things. You get rid of your old clothes in exchange for newer ones. You know, whether it's fashion or like me and they're starting to wear out and you're basically being forced to get new ones. I mean, what can I say? They're comfortable, you know? I know they're 20 years old, but I love that shirt. You know, up until recently, I still had a pair of sweatpants that I got in the hospital whenever I had the wreck. And, I mean, I had to throw the remains of them away because I washed them one more time and they started ripping and falling apart everywhere. So we need to get rid of these old things in our life. But what are some old things, you know, that, that have passed away? What happened to the first prototype of the Model T car? What happened to the second model car off the assembly line? What happened to the 17th? If they were 10,000, which I don't believe they were, what happened to 8,746? You see, old things 
like that, even the assembly line, while it has generally stayed around, I mean, other assembly lines, not that specific one, while things like that have stayed around, the conception, I think, is the word I'm looking for here, but, but old things pass away and new things are new. Anybody still using the original Apple iPhone? Anybody still got a bag phone in your car? Is there anybody still on a party line? Does anybody listening to this know what a party line is? I'm sure because I mean I'm listening to myself talking. I know what one is. But you see as our technology and as we advance in medicine, technology and, and things like that, we no longer drive the Model T car. We no longer, you know, use outdated phones. I mean, you know, the majority of people have to have the most current version. Like, oh, the, oh, I just got the uh, Apple 14, you know, X, and I really, really love it. And I don't know if that's an actual phone or not. I'm just saying... And then two days later, it's like, oh, check out the new Apple 15 AR9. And people will flock to it and buy it, whether they just bought the 14 or not. You know, seems like that way anyways. But what I'm saying is the old things go away and new things are made new. You know, we we get new things. And, and, this, and I want to showcase this here. And show this to you about like old things and things in the past. They fade away from memory more times again than not. Who was the World Series champion in 1921? It was the New York Giants. See, you might not even know that if you're a Giants, a New York Giants fan. Which, you know, they are... Uh, well, I'm not meaning the football giants either. <laughs> um, although those are bad, bad people if you're a Dallas fan. Well, pretty much everybody's a bad person if you're a Dallas fan, I reckon. But um, unless you Googled it, it's unlikely that you knew that. And, and here's another. Who invented the rubber tire? I mean, we have all kinds of tires. We have super swampers. We have... Radials, we have Cooper Cobras, we have Goodyear's, we we Firestone, we have all these kind of tires. But who invented the rubber tire? Do you remember? Did you ever know? John Boyd Dunlop. He invented the rubber tire. Chances are you didn't know that either. But whenever this happened, it was very popular. Probably all over the place. Now... How many people take tires for granted? You know, how many models have they gone through to get to the model that you're at? And that's what I'm saying. Old knowledge, old technology and all that is replaced by new stuff. It's replaced by new knowledge, new technology. You update the older information with this newer information. A lot like, you know, you could record over a VHS tape several times before it just finally quit. But you know, and it's the same 
with us, whenever we turn our life over to Jesus, our life in which where we were serving Jesus, whether, you know, actively on purpose or by the fact that we had not accepted Jesus, you know, our old way of life is over and our new life, the new life in Christ, has begun. We bury ourself, our old self, and we rise up from that quote-unquote grave new, just like the baptism. You go in with your old dirty self stepping into the water, and then when you go under, it washes the grit and grime of that sinful life away. Most of us have seen the movie Braveheart, and I wanted to put the speech that William Wallace, you know, that Mel Gibson portrayed to his fellow countrymen in here, really to remind us that freedom is not free. The soldiers of this country have fought for it. The soldiers in Braveheart fought for it. And Jesus died for it. Thankfully, for our sakes and for our hope and our freedom, he rose again on the third day. William Wallace's speech from Braveheart, provided by Link https colon slash slash www.americanrhetoric.com slash movie speeches slash sbeci elingagements slash movies pf braveheart html wallace sons of scotland i am william wallace young soldier william wallace is seven feet tall wallace yes i've heard kills men by the hundreds and if he were here he'd consume the english with fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from his arse i am william wallace and I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You have come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What would you do without freedom? Will you fight? Veteran soldier fight? Against that? No, we will run, and we will live. Wallace I fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade? All the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here, and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Wallace and soldiers, Alba Gubra, Scotland forever.